Let me ask you a question. Has anything changed since last year? Since last Easter, let, let's be more specific. Has, has anything changed um, since last Easter? You know, I, I mean, uh, are you feeling settled yet? I, a lot of things have happened. I mean, we've been in a pandemic. We've seen, you know, world crisis after another a political structure that's been kind of up, uh, in upheavals and things that have just been, been happening around us. Deep emotions that we've been feeling. I mean, our world is like topsy-turvy. And the question becomes, are, are we feeling settled yet? And, and last Easter, as Pastor Pam said, you know, we had to come to you via just totally uh, virtually. And for a lot of folks, it was really unsettling because we couldn't get in our churches. I mean, why, why do we come to church in the first place? We come because we're searching for something. We're searching and we're seeking for, for not only the truths that come in a relationship with God, but we're searching for something that will be the building blocks to help our lives become even better. And that's why we're, that's why we're here today. And, and many are, are wondering, I think, as we're sitting here, will, will normalcy return? And will we uh, gain some sense of just um, getting back to the way that the things were before all this happened? You know, it's been a, it's been a weird season, right? Uh, disillusionment, doubt, fear. It's uh, been discouraging at times. We've seen divisions. We've seen divisions in our households. We've seen divisions in, in our country. We've seen divisions um, in churches across the country. I mean, some people have, have gone as far as to maybe um, hooking up with uh, unhealthy vices during this season, just as a way to try to help cope. I've never, uh, I've never walked this journey ever in my life until this portion. I'm in my mid-50s, and, and, and I'm thinking about, you know, life has never been so weird as it's been. Would you agree with that? Life's been kind of weird. And, and so we, we've struggled with that and, and the challenges that come. Some of you have um, been thinking about the emotions that have been happening in life. And, and for some of us, it's been very weighty on our, on our soul. I was thinking back as I was uh, thinking through this message for this week, I was thinking about what life was like a little over a year ago. I mean, Patty and I uh, celebrated our 35th wedding anniversary last year. We had made plans to, to do a cruise throughout Europe as a, as a way to kind of celebrate the big thing. Our church was thriving. Uh, people were happy, and, and, and there was a lot of exciting things that were happening. And then all of a sudden, the pandemic came, and it changed everything. Remember the seasons where people used to laugh? I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think we laugh enough anymore. Remember the seasons where we could actually hug each other? We could actually kiss each other appropriately, of course. But, but those kind of things just kind of hang out there. And it's been a struggle as we've been asking ourselves, when will things change? We had routines. We had experiences. We had the way that which we did life, and, and life was kind of on, on automatic, and we would just kind of get up and just kind of grind through our day, not thinking about anything else, but just kind of like, well, this is what I do today. And we've seen changes that have come. You know, the hardest thing I've had to cope with, like many of you over this last year, is saying goodbye to friends who have died. And not just folks who have died because of the COVID-19 virus, but, but folks who have died because just the time had come for their end of life. And the sadness that it brings. I mean, these were wonderful people filled with life and love and, 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 and happiness and excitement. They were great friends and, and, and just getting through that. And so sometimes as I think back on that, some of those emotions come to my mind like, like anger, woundedness. Have you ever felt wounded? Woundedness and, and just kind of disheveled and, and not understanding where things are and how they're supposed to be. Doubtful at times. And I start scratching my head going like, man, life isn't at all as I had hoped it would be. 
And I think that's kind of the season that many of us have been in. We've asked ourselves that question, what can change the life, what can change our life into a different season? And life is not what I wanted it to be. And that's the challenge that we face since last Easter to now. Let me share a story with you. It goes this way. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. I mean, here it is, plain and simple. Confusion, doubt, discouragement, um, disillusionment, division, I mean, all those things as, as they're experiencing these emotions. I mean, Jesus had said you could destroy the temple and he would raise it in three days. People had gathered, they had placed all their hopes into Jesus as the Messiah, the deliverer, the one who would be Messiah, which translates into uh, one who brings salvation, a transformation, a forgiveness of sin, kind of like blotting out all the issues and sins of life. And so just a couple of days earlier, Jesus was well alive, and then all of a sudden, he is captured, he is crucified, he is dead, and they then lay his body into an empty tomb. And Mary and, and Peter and John are there, and Mary had come to visit Jesus, and as she gets there, and she's thinking about, reminiscing about what life could have been like, just kind of like what you and I have been reminiscing, what life could have been like, and she gets to the tomb and gone. He's gone. He's nowhere to be found. The story goes on describing a frantic race between Simon Peter and, and John. And, and it's kind of like what I would call like a 40-yard dash. I mean, they're making a dash where they were to this tomb just to see this discovery. Because Lord knows, a woman told him, and back then, you didn't believe a woman's testimony. So they had to go, kind of go see for themselves. And, and Peter and John get there, and, and John beats Peter to the, to the tomb. And, but, but John doesn't go in. He just kind of peers inside. And he sees strips of linen cloth, and, and Peter pushes his way in, and Peter's out of breath, and I can just imagine, you know, big, muscular, hulky Peter running down and getting that place, and he's kind of like, you know, got his knees on his, his hands on his knees, and he's sucking in the air, and he's trying to catch his breath, and he's trying to orient himself inside of this tomb. And Peter, Peter sees the linen cloth, but, but, but all of a sudden, his, his eyes change to a different direction. You see, where the body was traditionally laid at the place of the head, Peter saw a scarf, a towel, uh, a handkerchief, so to speak. And those are the things that would cover the face of someone who, who was dead or, or better yet, someone else who, who was abiding in your place of hospitality. They would have a kerchief for their head as they stayed the night. But something strange happened. That kerchief was folded up very nicely and it was placed in the place where Jesus' head was to be. Now, in the ancient world, what that meant was that it was a sign of hospitality, and it meant that the person who folded it up was returning. Don't give my room away. I'm coming back. I'll be there. Save a place for me, and I'll come. So Peter and John, they're engaged at this place. They're looking in, but something miraculously happens. Peter looks at everything, and he has no clue. John sees the cloth, and the Scripture says at that moment he believes. Kind of think about that for a second. What's it take for you to believe something? Do you kind of have to like see it, touch it, smell it, taste it, actually put your hands upon it in some way? Or can you just believe just because someone has said, you need to believe this? What's it take for you to believe? 
Let's reflect on what's happening in the story. And for the longest time, Jesus had said to Peter and James and, and John, and, and he had said to all the apostles, he said that, that I'm going to come and I'm going to die at the, the, the hands of sinful men, and I'm going to be crucified, and then I'm going to be buried, but I will rise from the dead, he said. And he continued to pour that into him. And, and we read that the crucifixion is the central part of who we are as Christians, that because Jesus was crucified on the cross and we believe that his blood was shed as an atonement for all sin, we believe that that is a foundation of who we are as Christians. You see, if any other person had come and said, I'm the Messiah, we might not have believed them. Because why? Because every other person, there were a lot of false messiahs, and there have been a lot of uh, religious leaders throughout history who have said that they were the chosen, the anointed one of God. But with Jesus, it was different. I mean, think about it for a second. If we were to go and excavate the tomb of the Buddha we would find bones. If we dug up the body of Muhammad, we would find bones. In Jesus, the tomb was empty. There were no bones. So everything that he said to us about being the Messiah, the one of God, the anointed one of God who was the savior of the world is true. Jesus rose from the dead so that you and I personally could attach to that. John continues to write that the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. That verse really bothers me. I, you know, of all the verses in this John 20 story, that's the one that puzzles me, and that's the one that perturbs me the most. Peter and John run. They see that the tomb is empty. It says that, that John believes. Peter's not real sure, and what do they do? They leave poor Mary standing there at the tomb, and Peter and John hoof it on back to their homes, probably lock the doors and continue a time of mourning and discouragement. Why did they leave? They had just seen what Mary saw. Why did they leave? I don't think they knew the scriptures. That's what I believe. I don't, I don't believe that they were very good students. I don't believe that they remembered at all what Jesus had taught them. I don't believe that they recalled the words of Psalm 16. He's not here. He's risen. He's gone. I don't think that they captured any of that. The only, the only answer could be was that they didn't know the scriptures. They didn't know the scriptures, and therefore they didn't know that hope awaited them. And they leave, and poor Mary is there. Now, let's put ourselves in the story. So for the last 12 months or so, Maybe that's how we've been. Maybe, maybe we've kind of lost some hope. Maybe we've kind of struggled. Maybe, maybe we're not sure about what we're seeing or not seeing. Maybe, maybe we're asking a lot of questions. Maybe we're trying to engage in this. A lot of us, we're focused on, on what we've lost. We're focused on what we can't do. We're focused on when will life turn back to normalcy. These are all the questions that we're asking. And the problem is, is like John and like Peter, we're not seeing the forward momentum of what God is preparing. God provided a miracle, but yet the blindedness of, of who was there at the tomb, they didn't see. And they run off back to their homes to hide, to sulk, and to be. They were stuck. They were stuck because life was bringing them the hard spots. They didn't know how to deal with it. They weren't sure. They couldn't press out of it. They struggled. Has that kind of been for us for the last 12 months? Has that been you? 
Listen, I, I'm not judging you. I mean, I, listen, I've had a lot of mixed emotions over the last 12 months too. If you, if you know me and you know me well, you know, uh, the, we've all been kind of moody. We've all struggled with these things and, and we haven't been sure about what to say. And, and what we find out is, is that life doesn't make promises that it can keep. Life doesn't say everything is going to be a blossom of cherries. But And life is listless. Life is like making us move adrift. But the scriptures are what keep us anchored. So in the midst of all this, we need to get back to the scriptures. We need to get back to the stories of God. We need to get back to the stories and the truth of Jesus and experience what God has planned. You see, there are many ways to believe. You and I can see the same thing. And someone asks us to give an account, and there is a chance that the account that we give will be different. Have you ever been like um, a witness to something? Maybe you saw a, a motor vehicle accident, and you saw that, and the police officer is asking you, now, what did you see? And you're given blow by blow by blow of everything that you saw, but yet your testimony does not equal the other witness who saw it because they see it in a different way. And that's what was going on with John and Peter, they both saw the linens. They both saw that the tomb was empty. They both saw the folded scarf. One believed John and the other didn't, Peter. They saw the same thing, but yet only one believed. A lot of Christians can look at the same situation. They, we can go through the same trials. We can deal with the same problems and yet see the outcomes totally different. Some of us will look at what we're going through with great bitterness, and others will say, God's hand is all over this. Hallelujah, the miracle is coming. You see, it's how we see things. Mary stood outside the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she knelt to look into the tomb and saw two angels sitting there, dressed in white, one at the head and the other at the foot of where Jesus' body had been laid. And they said to her, woman, why do you weep? I mean, think about that question. Mary is now all alone. She sees these angels. Why do you weep? They took my master, she said, and, and I don't know where they put him. And after she said this, she turned away and she saw Jesus standing there, but, but she didn't recognize him. Have you ever wondered why Mary didn't recognize Jesus? I mean, she's probably closer to Jesus in distance as I am to, to Felix right here or as I am to Joey Lynn right here. And she's very close. He's right there, and yet she doesn't recognize him. And I've often wondered why in the world can she not recognize Jesus? And it tells me that, that, that the resurrected body of Jesus still had the wounds. The resurrected body of Jesus still had the challenges. That all the things that happened to Jesus with the flagellum and the beating and the whippings and the torture and the crown of thorns and the nails and the spear and everything that happened to him still marred his body. So, so why doesn't he have like a, a clean body? Why isn't it like start clean and, and no scars and nothing to show for what's happened? You see, even in the resurrected Jesus, those scars are there. And, and I believe that those scars are there to remind us of something. They're there to remind us that God paid a powerful price to win us back. I believe that that powerful price to win us back was the truth that came. From the moment that Adam and Eve listened to the serpent and ate the forbidden fruit to now, God paid a price to bring us back. In Revelation 5, we see a, a, an image of Jesus on the throne. He's not the, the Lion of Judah on the throne. He's, he's actually the wounded lamb. And it helps us to understand 
that our Lord knows our pain. And it's a reminder of what our nonsense costs God. And we are called to live into the power and the blood of the Lamb. Jesus spoke to her, woman, why do you weep? Who are you looking for? And she, thinking he was the gardener, said, Mister, if you took him, tell me where he is. And then Jesus said, Mary. And turning to face him, she said in Hebrew, Rabboni. So Mary, all of a sudden, doesn't know it's Jesus until she hears his voice. But why does Jesus ask her, what are you looking for? Why did Jesus put that out there? Who are you looking for? Who is it that you seek? I think the, the reason why Jesus asked that question was he wanted Mary to communicate her faith. He wanted her to build up into herself a faith that she could see would be a, a faith that would sustain her the rest of her life. You see, having Mary communicate to Jesus exactly what was happening, to, to communicate to him exactly what she was seeing was the powerful piece it was a test. And perhaps that's what God does with us today, is God tests us. Is God testing you? Is God testing his church? Is God calling for us to communicate a resurrection faith? To get above, so to speak, the minutiae and the pain that we've seen all through this pandemic? Is God leading us to a greater cause? You see, Jesus tested the rich young ruler. The, the man asked Jesus, what do I need to do to inherit the kingdom of God? And the man loved his wealth. Listen, there's nothing wrong with wealth, but the difference is this man worshiped his wealth. He violated the first commandment. It was his God. And Jesus looked at that. He knew his heart, and Jesus said, sell everything that you have, get rid of it, and then follow me. And the story tells us that the man loved his wealth and his stuff too much to let that go. He was not able to release that false God and says he went away very disappointed. So Jesus asked Mary, who are you looking for? And we witnessed Mary's devotion and her love for Jesus. And it's that love and devotion of Jesus that just kind of separates her ability to see that Jesus is there. Here's what I love about the story. The first person that Jesus sees after his resurrection is a prostitute, a woman that he had given forgiveness to. And Jesus chooses to minister into the margins. Jesus calls you and me sinners by name and says, I know who you are and what you are and how you are. I love you just the way that you are, but too much to let you stay that way. And he comes into our life to change us into something that's new. I think it all comes down to this final sentence. Jesus said, Mary, and turning to face him, she said in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. I mean, despite the doubt, despite the distortion, despite the division, the discouragement, despite the disorientation, the disobedience, everything that was brought on by Jesus's death, when Jesus calls her by name Mary, she recognizes that, and she calls him Rabboni, which the name Rabboni means it's very personal. It means my teacher, my master. And the Lord claims you. He claims you. He claims me. And he is our master, and he is our teacher. So listen to me. Today, so many of us need to be reminded of this. It's been a a perplexing year at best. 
It's been a year that has been filled with a lot of things, a lot of craziness that the pandemic has brought. And so many of us, we're kind of at that threshold. Are we willing to just let that go and move on to a different life, a life that God is calling us to? Or are we going to come to that tomb in despair and just cry that he is gone and who's taken the body and where is Jesus? He's calling us to do something new. He's calling us to the tomb. He's wanting you and me to see that he is not there. That despite the pandemic and the sickness that has come, that Jesus is the cure. He is risen. He is risen indeed. 